So our next scripture reading this morning comes from Luke's gospel, and it's entitled The Widow's Offering. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, may all that we do and say in this day be well and good in your sight. Amen. <clears throat> so you know what I really miss? Payphones. For those of you maybe 25 or 30 years old and younger, let me explain. A payphone was actually a telephone, but unlike any phone that you have ever known. First, it had a handle with a bulge at either end, and each of those bulges had little tiny holes in them. When you'd go to use the phone, you would hold the handle, you'd put one bulge up to your ear, and the other bulge with the holes would go down by your mouth. And this thing I just described, formerly known as the telephone, was attached with a coiled metal line to a rectangular box. And this box was often mounted on a wall or mounted on a pole on a sidewalk outside, sometimes surrounded by plexiglass as a means to shield its users from the elements. Now, this mounted rectangular box came with a cradle or a fork-looking thing that the telephone would rest on when it wasn't being used. And in the middle of the cradle was a lever that sort of looked like a metal tongue that could move up and down. Also in the middle of this rectangular box was a keypad that looks exactly like the keypad that you know of. However, they were actually buttons that needed to be pushed when dialing a number, and it did have a pound sign instead of a hashtag. And even before these keypads, there was a wheel. <clears throat> this wheel had holes in it too, and each hole had a number associated with it. So in order to dial a number, you would have to stick your finger in the hole associated with the digit that you wanted, and turn this wheel as far as it would go, then you'd let it spin itself back before selecting the next digit of the phone number you were dialing. Now, phone numbers that had a lot of eights, nines, or zeros took forever to dial, and God forbid you misdial or not pull the wheel all the way down, because then you'd have to push down the metal tongue in the cradle fork-like thing and start all over again. But the kicker of it all, you needed at least 25 cents in order to make this thing work, and even then, that would only cover a local call. And I'm not even going to try and explain to our dear younger generations the difference between a local and a long-distance phone call. <laughs> so you take the phone off the cradle fork-like thing, 
and you hear a dial tone. Something else that has gone the way of the dodo. When was the last time you heard a dial tone? Put your 25 cents into the little slit in the upper right-hand corner of the metal rectangle, then you dial the number, a local number. You could, of course, call long distance, you just needed more change. And even older payphones had three circles at the top of the rectangular box, and these three circles were sized for quarters, nickels, and dimes. You'd lay your coin flat in the proper circle and let it drop down. Now, if your phone call didn't go through, or if no one picked up on the other end of the line, all was not lost. You'd simply put the phone back in its cradle or depress the metal tongue, and, like magic, your coins came back to you. All collected neatly behind a little swinging metal door at the bottom of the rectangular box. So all of this leads me to what I miss most about payphones. The coins that I would inevitably almost always find left behind. I had a knack for finding coins in payphones because I always, always swept my finger in the coin return slot as I passed by a phone. I also learned to check underneath the phone itself, especially the payphones that had the little shelves underneath. That was where I usually lucked out the most, often finding a stray coin in the dust and the dirt underneath the phone. Once, I even found a dollar bill. So similar to payphones, no longer having much necessity in our culture anymore, physical money, cash, and coins alike also seem to be making their way out of daily use. Coins that would get us a ride on public transportation, help us make a phone call, buy a bottle of pop or a bag of chips, score a gumball, or get us a ride on the mechanical horse outside of Kmart are no longer needed. Hearing dads the world over emptying their pocket change onto their dressers at the end of the day, burying jars of penny under, pennies under the porch, or sorting piles of loose change in preparation to wrap them up in paper rolls to take to the bank are now all becoming things of the past. Yet money, is still what makes the world go round. Whether it's a cashier's check, the swipe of a debit card, bitcoins, or old-fashioned cash, money has always played a prominent role in our lives as it is something that was created to be a necessity of life in most cultures. The first known form of currency was the Mesopotamian shekel, first minted more than 5,000 years ago. And ever since, the developing world has relied on money as a means for sustainability, trade, and commerce. We also know that money can also be the source of greed, misused power and authority, exploitation, and war. As we see time and time again in the scriptures, even God commanded his people to use money and goods as a means of worship, and as a means of taking care of his kingdom and one another. Yet time and time again, 
we have seen in scripture and as we have continued to see all throughout history, God's people, the religious elites, the temple, the church, the televangelists, you and me have been known to exploit others, to use money and wealth as a means to an end, worship stuff instead of God, live beyond our means because we have let the good stuff of life be eclipsed by our desire simply for more stuff. All the while, the world at large suffers. Two of the most magnificent structures of our world, the Colosseum and St. Peter's Basilica, both in Rome, were funded by the exploitation of people. The money for the building of the Colosseum came from the spoils of the Judaic Wars and Rome's ultimate occupancy of Jerusalem and much of Israel. St. Peter's was mostly funded through the church's requirements of indulgences and a system of monetary penance. All the while, people went hungry and homeless, all so that we could be entertained and build lofty structures designed to appease God when really they were designed to appease humankind. And this is exactly what Jesus railed against as he overturned the tables of those selling goods and animals in the temple square. But see, there are two sides to every coin, right? So on the surface of this whole scene, one may want to ask the question, wait, God, you asked the people to make animal sacrifices at specific times throughout the year in your temple in Jerusalem. People have to buy these animals from somewhere, right? So wouldn't it make sense for them to be sold right there? But the other side of the coin shows us that the system had gotten out of hand. The sacrificial system God had created became a means of accumulating wealth for others. In her, devotion, in her devotional Lent in Plain Sight, Jill Duffield writes, when they take advantage of the place, time, and market, Jesus gets mad. When money is loaned at exorbitant rates to those without other options, Jesus forms a whip of cords. When merchants price gouge in the aftermath of a disaster, Jesus starts turning tables. When, corruption, when corporations create fake accounts, add fees, and penalize those unable to pay them, Jesus' anger grows. When worship becomes an occasion for exploiting people, Jesus unleashes his wrath. And like the woman in our video said, the temple was the place where dishonest men put their grimy fingerprints all over God's glory. They defiled the intimate process of worshiping him. In other words, they turned sacred ground into a house of prey rather than a house of prayer. In a similar vein, when we take a moment and look at the other story we read from the Gospel of Luke and the widow giving her two small copper coins or mites for the temple tax, we once again see that there are two sides to every coin. On one side of the coin, we can read this passage through the lens similar to what we heard in our first video this morning during our children's worship time. That video used the example of the widow giving her money to the temple as an amazing example of sacrifice and worship, which it was. 
And it's easy to do so if we simply look at the surface of Jesus' response when he says, I tell you the truth, this poor woman has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty gave all that she had to live on. But the other side of the coin requires that we truly and fully see the widow as Jesus did. Jesus reminds us there are two sides to every story and we must take the time to look at both. As Duffield says, putting in all she had, jeopardizing her well-being, may indeed be an example of her piety and faith, but it also reveals a less than flattering aspect of the institution to which she turns over her two small coins. Widows and orphans, the vulnerable and marginalized, should be the very ones the coins in the treasury support, not exploit. Jesus notices the poor widow and the rich. Jesus understands the impact of both in their giving on themselves, the temple, and the community. Jesus is not so much praising the widow's sacrificial giving as condemning those who fail to notice her and to see her predicament. My friends, we need to be honest about our past as the church universal and own up to the ways that um, some have been exploited. We need to be mindful of this because it is these actions that keep others from God because they are skeptical and suspicious of the church, and rightly so. One final quote from Duffield. God never rejoices in giving until it hurts. Jesus condemns those who devour widows' houses, especially those who do so in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. How many times have we heard this phrase being used and abused all throughout history? How many times, perhaps, have you yourself been the target of such a phrase when others seek to be self-righteous and condemn you for your actions. Let me tell you here and now that any form of marginalization, exclusion, abuse, violence, exploitation, humiliation, or neglect accompanied by the phrase in the name of the Lord is unfounded, ignorant, and heretical. Such words such actions have no place, no place in God's kingdom. So revisiting one more time the passage from John and the story of Jesus clearing the temple, we remember the Jews demanding of Jesus a sign that gives him the authority to do all he just did in driving out the sellers and the merchants and overturning tables to which Jesus says, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. On one side of the coin, human intellect understands the time and labor needed to construct a large building, especially in the first century, so we can understand why the Jews merely laughed and scoffed at how ludicrous Jesus sounded. But we have the luxury of knowing how the story ends. We know that the other side of the coin is the theological understanding that the temple Jesus is referring to as his very body, 
raised again on the third day, his resurrection around which our entire belief system revolves. In the end, Jesus reminds us we don't pin our hopes on a building, on a sacred space, a pew, or a communion table. We place our hopes in nail-scarred hands. Hear these words again from the young widow from the video. Life can still be brutal, but he made a place for me to be still, where rest and trust meet right there at Jesus' feet, and the price of that access is paid because of Jesus. And there are not enough coins in the world to cover that cost. Jesus paid it, not the temple, not the church, but Jesus, and he paid it for all of us. Amen.